Well, open with me in your copy of the word of God to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms will be in Psalm 46 this morning. If you take your Bible and you open it up right to the middle, you will probably be in the book of Psalms and then it's not too hard to get there from there. We're taking a one-week break from our series through Mark to listen to this psalm, a poem, a poem written, if you will, for the pandemic. This morning, I want you to perceive the radical nature of the claim that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And I want you to believe in the resurrection as your only hope in life and in death. And to get us there, we're going to read from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Well, two questions. Where do we go for help in times like these? And what is the most helpful thing that we can do right now? Two questions we're all asking, two questions for our morning, two questions answered in really direct and profound terms in the passage we just read. Two questions that will lead us with a straight line to the resurrection of Jesus. I was reading a short volume yesterday on preaching. I'll do this sometimes on Saturdays. Uh, It's called Simplicity in Preaching. I'll return to this one over and again. It's by J.C. Ryle, a notable 19th century preacher. And this little pamphlet length uh, volume has survived over a century. And it's worth uh, at least my return. Well, here's one excerpt that I read yesterday and laughed. Try to use in all your sermons as far as you can, simple words. I do not mean words of only one syllable. I rather prefer the saying of that wise old heathen Cicero when he said that orators should try to use words which are in daily common use amongst the peoples. Only whatever you do, beware of what the poor shrewdly call dictionary words, that is, of words which are abstract or scientific or pedantic or complicated or indefinite or, or very long. And unfortunately, having read that, I had already committed my sermon title, A Very Present Help in 
the pandemic. And kids, you may be asking your parents, what's a pandemic? You've heard the word maybe a good bit over the last few weeks, maybe only a little less used or a little less obscure than coronavirus, which is on our lips. Pan means all. Demos means people. Pandemic comes from the Greek. Something that is prevalent uh, among all people, affecting people everywhere. It's a bit long. It's fairly abstract. It might be scientific. It's certainly a dictionary type word that we might have to break down to understand where it came from. And then it occurred to me, actually, it is a long word, but it is a word in daily common use. Yes, we only need to get it out about every hundred years these days, thanks to vaccines and modern medicine. But this is one for our year. This is one for these times. It's a word that for us spells trouble. It's not spelled trouble, but it certainly spells trouble. It spells physical trouble. We're learning more about it all the time, but our pandemic presents us with imminent threats to our bodies or the bodies of other more vulnerable people. It's a word that spells economic trouble as things are shut down for a time, the destruction of our wealth and work. It spells emotional trouble, our discouragement, uh, even maybe depression. And it points to spiritual trouble. All disease and death is a reminder that we are all under the curse. And so we're asking two questions today. Where do we go and what shall we do? Let's get after the first question. Where do we go for help in times like these? Verses one through seven. Everyone's being told to go to one place or another. We know that we are not sufficient for the problems that we we have. Uh, Do we stay home or do we go to the grocery store? Do we go to the doctor or do we do we wait it out? Do we go online to buy a chicken? Apparently everyone's buying all the chickens up and I thought maybe I need to buy a chicken. I have enough toilet paper for the time. There's a market for chickens right now. Or do we move to Texas and buy a bunker? You can find internet articles on this. Man buys a bunker, celebrity has a bunker. There's a bunker here in Texas. There's a bunker there in some other state. And there are places underground where you can get away from nukes and you can get around from microbes, apparently. Well, there are two places that you need to go. Let me show you to the first. A refuge stronger than our trouble. A refuge stronger than our trouble, verses one through three. Listen to this claim. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Well, what is a refuge? It's a place of safety. It's a shield, a protection. It is a shelter. It's, it's a bunker. Now, what is strength? Strength is the empowerment to face trouble. It makes up for our weakness. Strength is the empowerment in the face of trouble to beat it. My son and I sometimes on a lazy Saturday will just watch YouTube videos on, um, on various machines of war. And so yesterday it was aircraft carriers and their history and how the decks used to be made of wood, which I think is interesting and a bad idea, but no one asked me and all kinds of things. An aircraft carrier is a big ship. 
They might not get bigger than an aircraft carrier. I know that they're longer than three football fields in length, maybe a good bit longer than that. Uh, They're a big target, but you shouldn't have to worry when you're on an aircraft carrier. There are 7,500 people to take out if you could get one, but it's surrounded by a whole fleet. There's one cruiser, there's two destroyers, there's uh, another arm uh, air wing with 65 to 70 additional aircraft. There's a supply ship and logistics ships and there's submarine underneath or near it. Maybe it's not underneath, but nearby. There's radar and there's nukes. You're in a safe place if you're on an aircraft carrier. They don't even dock by shore if they don't have to. They can be deployed, I suppose, for 25 years if without docking, although they'll They'll dock more often than that. They can be deployed for a year at a time. They won't stop and make themselves vulnerable at, a, at some uh, coast. Uh, the supply ship will go out and get fuel for the planes and food for the men and women. Maybe the safer place to be than on the ship itself is on the land that is protected by some 10 of these that we have roaming about the planet at any one time projecting Strength. We can be grateful for our United States military and for our Navy specifically in this case and in these aircraft carriers. They're brilliant and they're big and their decks are made of metal. Well, that's what God is for us, but a whole lot better. He's a fortress, a high impenetrable fortress, not a fortress on the sea dependent on communication and intelligence and a thousand points of support. He's a spiritual fortress with a wall around us for a total quarantine from every threat. One way to test the strength of something is to challenge it. Throw a rock at the glass on Elon Musk's cyber truck and you'll see how strong it is. Drop an iPhone from a crane 40 feet high and you'll see how strong it is. I bought that case which is probably why my phone is fine after chucking it down the aisle a few, a few weeks ago. What can we throw at this thing, this refuge, this fortress that the psalmist is speaking about? What can we do to test its strength? Or our psalmist is already ahead of us in this. Did you catch all the those? We have nothing to fear. Though this happens, though this happens, though this happens, though, though this happens, he is ahead of us. He set out to imagine the worst case scenario, the most extreme natural disaster possible, that he succeeds. Verse two, therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The poet takes two things, mountains and water. Uh, Let's ponder what each of those are for a moment. Uh, What are mountains like? Well, they're stable. They're immovable. They're impenetrable. They're predictable. Our family lived in the Southwest for a number of years and our town had a mountain. We loved the mountain. The mountain never moved. You always knew where you were at. You always had the mountain to key off of anywhere you were at in town. So different than Greenville. You have to memorize every Every turn and hill, each place is beautiful for its own, its own reasons. 
That place had a mountain and that thing hasn't gone anywhere since I left, I don't think. Now let's consider water. What What is water like? Well, if mountains are really high, then the bottoms of water are the very depths and the very floor of the whole earth. It, mountains aren't stable, but, uh, excuse me, water isn't unstable, but, excuse me, water isn't stable and predictable, but unpredictable and unstable. It's always moving. Well, what if we were to take the heights of the mountains and then to crash them into the depths of the sea? We would have ourselves no survivors. We would have total destruction, a better word for it, even the imagery of the Bible, we would have a kind of a decreation back to zero. That's one thing to throw at this refuge. Apparently it's safe and strong enough. Let's reverse the image now. Imagine, imagine the waters and the mountains and the waters rising and the waters raging and the waters boiling over. So that not just seafaring vessels were trembling and and those on the water trembled, but the mountains themselves trembled at the swelling of the boiling ocean. If in that first image, the mountains crash into the heart of the sea, we're back to zero, no survivors. Well, in this case, the mountains don't survive. They're capped off and smothered by the world's oceans, boiled down to nothing. The mountains drowned in waters. God is our refuge and strength, a fortress even from all of that. Where do we go for help in times like this? How about into a refuge quite a bit stronger than our trouble? Scene change. Mood change. Let's hit reset on the earth. Let me show you to a second place we need to go. And of course, it really is the same place. Verses four through seven. Verse four. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. Now that is a total change of mood. Here we have a river with more joy than our sadness. A river with more joy, more life and joy than all of our sadness, any threat of death. How would we describe the mood in this city? Well, it is a happy city. It's a joyful city. It's a glad city. The city is well supplied. A river runs to it and through it, just like on the mountain where Eden was planted and a river ran to it, from it, and through it. Abundant in supply, abundant in life. This city runs out of nothing. God has no needs, but he gives and gives and gives. And this city has no needs for she receives, receives, and receives. Put another way, verse five, God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. Surely she is safe from attack, even when it looks like she's about to go down. Second half of verse five, God will help her when morning dawns. He'll be there when he's needed right on time. 
But let's imagine a worst case scenario for that city. This time we move from threats from nature to threats from people, humanity. From natural trouble to human trouble. What if surrounding that city were, oh, all the nations of the world with all of their warring weapons and all of their scientific accomplishments uh, channeled into the, the building of war machines and plans all against a single city and a will and rage to destroy it. What then? Is that little city even safe in this case? Will the, lawns, will the Lord's dawn appearance be strong enough? Here is your answer, verse six. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. Look at it, it's melting. That's the exclamation there. Just look at the city. Outside the walls of this city, this fortress, this refuge, there are roaring waters and roaring nations to pull these images together. Inside the walls, inside the walls, is a river whose streams make this city glad through, though about them nature unravels and humanity rages. Tell me, where is this city? I want in. Where is this city, this refuge? Where is this city with this river? Where is this city that makes its people so glad in spite of every threat? The city of God is not architecture. The city of God is not a plot of land on which sit a beautiful temple and structure with, with walls and such, an ancient city in Jerusalem. The city of God is the people of God. And we are the church, the heavenly Jerusalem, perfectly safe, abundantly satisfied in our Lord. We are that city. Where do we go in times like these? Well, we go to a refuge stronger than our trouble and we go to a river with more joy flowing in it and from it than our sadness. But there's a second impulse that we have in times like these. We ask ourselves, where, where should we go? We ask ourselves as well, what should we do? Is there something we can do to fix it, to fight it, to write, to tweet, to talk, to stockpile, to talk about it, to keep busy, not to think about it even maybe. Not all of those things are, are bad things or wrong. But here's our second question for the morning. What is the most helpful thing we can do right now? What is the most helpful thing we can do right now? This will take us from verse eight to the end of the, the Psalm, verse 11. Of all the things we may need to be doing, making masks, staying inside, stocking up on the right things, but only one thing of eggs at a time, please. Of all the things we need to be doing, this is the most helpful thing we can do. Two answers, actually, to this question. Something to see and something to be. First, behold the works 
of the Lord. Verse eight, come behold the works of the Lord. Well, that's the first thing we need to be doing. Of the first most important things we need to do, what kind of works are we to behold? Well, they're the Lord's works. What kind of works would God want us to see and to ponder and remember in order that we might run to him as our refuge and drink from him as our river? What kind of works would the Lord want us to behold in order that we might trust that he really is our safety when the earth gives way and when the nations rage at the gate? Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Well, he wants us to behold his works of violence, his works of violent judgment. He brings desolations on the earth. He breaks bows and shatters spears and he burns chariots. God has worked many desolations on the earth on the pages of our scriptures in the Old Testament. Desolations where we know precisely what he was up to and how his hand was moving and how that particular move in history, was moving all things to its appointed end. We don't know in precise terms what exactly God is doing in any one calamity that meets us in our own day. But we know that God is working all things that happen and that he even brings about for his own purposes. And we can't escape it. There are desolations brought on the earth in the warring of nations in the the desecrating of people, even through a virus. We have to embrace the full sovereignty of God in every tragedy in the world. Amos, through the prophet Amos, the Lord said, if a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? You think of the book of Job, where Satan is given a leash to tempt and to test and to thwart and to destroy Job's life. In the one hand, it isn't God destroying Job's life. On the other hand, Job is right and does not sin to say that the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he says, surely, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. And the psalmist, we're in a psalm right now, the psalmist in Psalm 33, 10 The Lord nullifies the counsel of nations and he frustrates the plans of the peoples. One thing the Lord is doing is frustrating our plans and he is nullifying the wisdom of nations among other things. Yes, it is true. Every human tragedy that comes to our lives, certainly every virus, every thorn, every Even death itself is itself an effect of the curse and of the fall of humanity. The Lord weeps over the death of people and there are sadnesses in the world that he understands with us. And yet scripture speaks to us in these terms about these kinds of things that we're going through. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth. But what we learn in all of 
what God is doing is that he's not only bringing desolations as though he is happy to bring them about, but he is happy to bring about salvation through the desolations that he brings. He breaks the bows and shatters the spears and throws people into confusion in order that he might bring about his salvation plans. Yes, indeed, everything that happens works together for good for those that belong to God and are called according to his purpose. This is what we need to behold together. He wants us to behold his works of violence and violent judgment, but he wants us to behold his works of victory in victorious salvation. This is what we need to behold. This is why we come together each Lord's day to hear the word of God in order to behold the world under the water and on top of that water, Noah's boat. The violence and evil stopped, the family preserved. Behold in that scene, the work of the Lord. We come together each Lord's day in order to behold Pharaoh's chariots and generals underwater and Israel safe on the shore. Egypt's pride and self-sufficiency and hardness of heart broken, though warned a thousand times with plagues of various kinds, with economic trouble at every level. Thunderclaps, those things have been called. They were thunderclaps in the face of Egypt, thunderclaps in Pharaoh's face, accompanied with the word of God from the prophet Moses to say, stop here, repent and turn to God and release the people and you'll be saved implicitly. But he did not turn, his heart was hardened and so the judgment came. We gather each Lord's day in order to watch the walls of Jericho downed at the sound of a shout, just a shout and some trumpets. The inhabitants inside, hard-hearted, having dug in, refusing to turn. Save Rahab, who turned and confessed the Lord as God. And the sound of the people surrounding that city on that day, and shouting and singing and the trumpets, all, if you will, a warning of what would come apart from repentance. And there wasn't repentance. And so salvation came through judgment right alongside it. And we come together on the Lord's day in order to behold hail from the sky and the sun stopped in its place and a hundred other ways the Lord miraculously and beautifully brought judgment and through judgment, salvation. Many we can pray will come to salvation as they are brought to their knees and we are brought to our knees as a people by a microbe. But then there is the most violent and most victorious work of all that we come together each Lord's day in order to behold. And it is the work of God that makes it possible for you and me to be safe when God judges. It is the work of God that makes it possible for this Psalm to be a comfort to us and not a death sentence to us. And it is the work of God that makes it possible for this Psalm to be a comfort at all. And that work is the work of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is a violent work because of what it kills. And it is a victorious work because of those whom it saves. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a radical claim. If you've read this psalm before or heard it this morning when I read it at first and thought, that's comforting, but that's an overstatement. The resurrection is an infinitely more incredible claim than those pictures of the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea or a city surviving raging nations. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a claim that God himself is remaking the whole universe beginning with a man. That's why Jesus is called the firstborn from among the dead. He's the firstborn of a whole new creation, a new humanity, and a whole new universe. God will remake it all. And in believing the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we believe that we're taking part in that. We are with him a part of that new world and that new order, which is of God and comes through the resurrection. The work of God and Jesus's resurrection will get this, lead to a work of God in you and me. A work so great, it is called by the apostle Paul, who had insight into these things and wrote scripture, it's called a mystery. Hear this from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Psalm 46 was nothing. Behold, he says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death shall be swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a victory over death that is so sure and so certain and so final that when we say death is swallowed up in victory, that is a shout of victory followed by two mocking claims. Excuse me, two mocking questions. We're saying to death, this is what the Christian can do. The Christian can look in the face of death and say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? (laughs) Oh, there is none. The sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus. There's no sting in death for us, friends. And so you and I can say, With the apostle Paul, death is swallowed up in victory. And we have no reason to fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountain be moved into the heart of the sea, though the mountains tremble at the swelling of the raging boiling ocean and everything be reset to zero, you and I are safe in that very day because we're with Jesus, the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus crucified, buried, and risen. So friend, today the first and most helpful thing First most helpful thing you can do is behold the works of the Lord. 
Behold his works. Behold his hand in every act of judgment in the world. The coronavirus, I am not suggesting as a specific judgment for specific sins or any one person who gets it, gets it on account of a specific sin they have committed. But the whole world is under judgment and tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and microbes like that and even thorns and even a hard day at work. And even pain and childbearing is proof that this place is not right and this place is under a curse and this place is under judgment. Behold the works of the Lord, but behold his works of violence and of victory in the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. By it, he puts his foot on the head of the serpent. It's a violent act and it's an act of victory. Well, how do we get in on it? There is something else for us to do this morning, something else for us to do, or shall we say something for us not to do? Verse 10, a familiar verse. Be still and know that I am God. How shall we hear those words? How shall we hear those words? They call to mind a warm, sunny morning on the porch with the birds chirping and your Bible and your journal in hand. But before you hear the birds chirping, may I suggest to you that you should hear these as a shout, be still and know that I am God. Halt, I am God. No trespassing, you will go no further. This is God putting his foot down. This is God calling a halt to all of our God-forsaken, human, prideful activity. It is a shout powerful enough to shout down the whole earth. And we should hear it in every bad day and every problem and trouble that this earth brings to us. A reminder of the shout of God to be still. He may do it with something as large as a hurricane or he may do it with something as small as a microbe. This is a shout to stop trying to take his place. To stop trying to take the place of God. But that is not all that we are to hear in these words. Here in these words as well, a summons, a shout and a summons, an invitation even, an invitation from God himself to enter into him as your fortress, to stop fighting for a place with God when his invitation is received by faith alone to stop trying to save yourself apart from him, which is really what so much of our individual warring and warring among family and between families and between parties and nations is really all about. That establishing the safest place that we can make with all of our tools and weapons and wisdom. This is a shout and it is an invitation to safety apart from all those human machines. No one, friends, makes it into Abraham's family of faith. No one comes to God as the God of Jacob any other way than by faith and by the righteousness that is counted to us by faith alone. 
There is no refuge and safety and help ultimately from any trouble. And there is no comfort in Psalm 46 if Jesus is not raised from the dead. And if God himself is not known by us through faith. And if we don't receive this by faith. And if we don't enter into the fortress of his safety by faith alone. If we don't respond to this invitation to be still and to stop our salvation making ends. Jesus himself is our refuge from the penalty of sin and from death for he took both for us on himself when he was on the cross. And Jesus is for us by faith our river welling up to eternal life. He is the river that makes the city of God glad. The very one who makes the people of God so happy that our faces are bright, even when everything about us is dim, that makes us to sing every Lord's day, even alone in our homes today, even when there is raging and fury all about us. The earliest Christians had this down so well. It's our second page of the book of Acts, the story of the church after the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead. Now Jesus has ascended and he's working, still working. Peter and John are arrested for preaching the gospel and they're told sternly not to preach any longer. They are put away and then they are released with threats. But of course, in their own words, how can they not preach the gospel? Jesus is raised from the dead. And they gather then with the church. And what did they do? They're still before God. They pray. They pray to the sovereign Lord of heaven and on earth. Who, though everyone gathered around the Lord Jesus, Pilate, the Gentiles, the Jews and the crowds to kill him by God's own sovereign hand. They only did what his predestined plan had uh, determined to take place. Their hope was in the sovereign God of all things. And they were meditating on Psalm 2, which speaks of the raging of nations, not around the city of God, but around the anointed of God himself, the king. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain and the kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed? And they read these words, he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. He laughs at our raging against the Messiah. I will tell you of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you, he says of his Messiah, the Davidic King, the Lord Jesus. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession for they are his. Now, therefore, O kings, here's a word to all of us. Be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. Peter and John and those early Christians were gathered together. And as they were still 
and knowing that God is God and acknowledging him as the nations raged about them and arrested them and released them with threats. They prayed a prayer based on these words. And what happened? While they were still knowing that God is God, it says the room shook for God by his spirit was with them. And so they counted themselves blessed and perfectly safe in Jesus, the one who judges and saves. They were being still in prayer and the Lord shook the whole place. And so it is in the quietness of our own souls before the Lord that he shakes us and even shakes the world through us. There is this line in Psalm 46, Selah. We think it means pause. And isn't that appropriate that in this Psalm, on three occasions, after each of three stanzas, that we would be told to pause and to be still and to ponder what the Lord has said. Here in these words, a shout and a warning. Here in these words also, an invitation, an invitation to believe and to enter into Jesus Christ, who is our fortress and who is our river. And here in these words, a promise. Ours are uncertain times. I don't know how many times I've read or heard the words uncertain, unusual. (laughs) Uh, I'm just going to stop talking about it in future Sundays if this goes on for however long it does. Um, But they are uncertain times. But God is not uncertain. God is not uncertain about the future. Verse 10, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. How can we not worship him? How can we not share his gospel? But this is not only a promise concerning the future where God is at the center of it all, but it is a promise concerning our present right now. It may be the most incredible claim of the whole Psalm. And I say that because it's on repeat three times. See the very last verse here. It's repeated twice before it echoes the first line. It is the truth that the God who is over the mountains and the sea, who brings desolations on the earth, who will be exalted in all the earth, this God, this Lord is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Think about that. Yes, the God who is at the center of the universe and the future, he is with us personally, near to us, near to us right now. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do not fear, I'm sending a comforter to be with you. And Jesus is with us by his spirit. And the spirit is our guarantee, our fortress, keeping us to the end and emboldening us in the face of every threat. He is with us. But let me move the stress of that line just a little bit to make a different point. This point is not just a promise for you and me. It is a promise for us together. It's a promise for us. The Lord of hosts is with us. 
This stillness is a stillness that issues in worship and in mission and in fellowship. This is a psalm for the city of God. He is our refuge and our strength through his resurrection from the dead. We are the city whose life is watered by the eternal waters of the sun. We're the city with this psalm on our lips, one to another, as we sing of the God who is our refuge and our strength. How appropriate is this psalm for this moment? The most radical claim of the New Testament, the resurrection, hands down. Possibly the most radical claim of the Old Testament, the psalm that we've read right here. And of course, the two rise and fall together. If Jesus can't save us like this psalm promises, well, then his resurrection isn't good enough. And if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then this psalm is just, it's just nice. It's just nice to consider its wishful thinking. And this is why for this season in our church's life, for as long as we're apart in this way or under the trouble of this pandemic, this is why our elders are deciding to focus our congregation's life and attention on this simple verse, be still and know that I am God. We're just gonna hold that verse over our life as a church, as a banner. If you head to the website, you'll see it at the top and there's a webpage unpacking this a little bit. We're just gonna hold it in front of us. Let it inform your prayers as a family. Let it inform your prayers as a shepherding group. Let it inform your prayers for the members of our church. I'd encourage you to download the church directory on your phone and pray through a letter of the alphabet Every day, there's about as many letters in the alphabet as there are days in the month. I'll do that. And uh, some of you get more prayers than others. I mean, there's like maybe 15 L's and two X's. So if your last name starts with X, then you're getting a lot of prayer. But in any case, pray for the members of the church and pray using this psalm. Mind this psalm, meditate on this psalm in this season so that we might be still together. Now, what does that being still entail? Well, minimally, it must mean being still in the things that we say. Let's be careful not to protest against the Lord in this or to speak vainly or rashly about what he's doing, but to hold our words and to pray and to ask him for insight into what he's seeking to teach us. Let's be still in our, in our movements. We're having to do that anyways with these work and home orders. But it means not fretting and being so busy just to put it out of our mind or maybe to try and fix the matter. Take every wise precaution and track with the CDC and all the rest. But be still. Don't fill your life with activity in a time when God is teaching us something. Careful about the internet browsing and in too much TV watching, none with no, no problem with either, but there are forms of passive activity that can check you out and take your mind away from the lessons the Lord is teaching us. And in the end, let us just be still together in our hearts that God might give us wisdom, that we might know the God of heaven better for our trouble together here for a time on earth. Friends, we're all gonna die anyways. The coronavirus is one of a bazillion ways that any of us could die. And many of us will die in terrible, horrifying ways, not from the coronavirus, 
from car accidents, from plane crashes, from other forms of disease, from old age, slow and painful deaths. We all die. And here we have ourselves a reminder of that. Let us take it to heart. We've sung this morning that the Lord sends the waves. He sends waves that bring us to the shore, the rock of Christ. Let us be still in our speech and our movements and in our hearts that the wave of the coronavirus and all of its attendant sufferings and losses, and there are many, there are many, that these waves might crash us onto the shore who is Christ himself. I trust the Lord will lead you by his word there. Well, Psalm 46 may be the most radical confession on the pages of the Old Testament. Here we have the nations raging about a city and the upheaval of the old creation. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most radical confession that we can make. Indeed, the nations raged about the Lord and that was a bad day. That appeared to be the last place you'd want to be. And it was the last place anyone would want to be. But Jesus took that for us. It was his place as he was taking our place. And now as we join ourselves to him, this firstborn of a new creation, there's all kinds of trouble that we invite for that. All kinds of trouble. And though the nations rage about us, hear this mission partners if you are listening, though the nations rage about us, this is a promise not just for those in foreign lands where things are more hostile, our hostilities about us here. Though the nations rage about us, we are in the safest place we can be. We're in the Lord Jesus and all of our needs and wants are supplied at his river. And not just a river that is from him, but a river that is him. Indeed, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most radical confession that we can make. Thank God. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, you and I have a place to go. And you and I have something to do. It is to worship the Lord Jesus, to spread his name among the nations to the very ends of the earth that his name might be exalted. And it is to sing these very things to one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is for us a refuge from every worst case scenario, who is for us a river that makes us glad in the midst of every other worst case scenario. Father, would you help us through this pandemic, which is a reminder of your judgment on the whole world, to be crashed onto the shore, which is Christ? Would you help us to Exalt Jesus as the risen king of the universe and to see him from our troubled place here on the earth as the king crowned with authority and praise and with might. Would you make us to be the people of the risen Christ and for our faces to shine bright even when things are dark all about us. For his face is bright enough. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.